At the intersection of ideas and action, this is Longitude Soundbites, where we bring innovative insight from around the world directly to you. I'm Kevin Smith, Longitude Fellow from Tilburg University. Welcome to our Longitudes of Imagination series, where we are exploring the roles of individuals, technologies, and research that is helping advance understanding. We spoke with the members of the NASA Gateway Program, which is working on building a small space station that will be in orbit around the Moon. It will come together with the international partnerships that have been established on the International Space Station. In today's episode, we are featuring highlights from a conversation I lab with Julia Badger. She is the Systems Manager for the Vehicle Systems Manager function on the spacecraft. That is VSM for short, which is the highest level command and control software system that will be on board the Gateway spacecraft. We started our conversation about her education first. I have three degrees in mechanical engineering. I got my bachelor's degree at Purdue University and my master's and PhD at the California Institute of Technology. Uh, when did you first uh, develop interest in the field of mechanical engineering and uh, aerospace? I think I was in seventh grade when I saw the movie Apollo 13, and I thought that that was just a really cool thing to kind of devote your career to. And so that made me want to work in, in space. But then uh, I did a, a project with robotics, I think when I was in 10th grade or so. And, and at that point I knew that automation and robotics is where I wanted to, to kind of go next. And so that that's what was shaped my decisions kind of early. I decided mechanical engineering because mechanical engineers can pretty much do anything. <laughs> Could you summarize the Gateway project in a few sentences for the lay audience? Gateway is going to be a space station that will be in orbit around the moon. It's meant to be, uh, if you will, a gateway to further human exploration, both a sustained human operations on the moon's surface, as well as future exploration of Mars. And uh, why is it so important to get a present on and around the moon? We think that the moon is a really great opportunity to learn how humans can live in uh, places that that are very hostile to them, that aren't Earth. So the, the space station is is great. It's definitely pushed our knowledge on how to have humans constantly be living in space but because it's so close we basically can talk to it all the time and we do um, and the logistics types of flights like being able to make sure the supplies are there it's not easy but it relatively easily if you have to plan you know for a much bigger rocket a lot less mass much further away it takes a lot longer to get there as you get further out it's harder to have real-time communication it's harder to have any communications in some ways. So as we as we do that, the moon is kind of the next safest place to do that in the sense that it's a bit further away, but it's kind of that next step and understanding how we would do the comm, how we would do operations, how would we would do the logistics management. And then our real goal is to go 
see Mars, right? There, there could have been life there. There are formations there. There was obviously a, a much different place a long time ago. The robots that are on Mars are great, but they're a lot slower than a human would be if they were there to do that science. And so it's, it's a really important step, the moon is, to be able to get to our ultimate goal. And uh, what part of the Gateway project are you uh, exactly involved in? So the idea with Gateway is that people are going to, to live on Gateway probably one or two months per year. They will be corresponding with the lunar surface missions and in support of that. And when Gateway is flying, there's going to be probably four or five other things in space going on uh, that need operations support. So the operational paradigm that we're shifting to from ISS, which is 24-7, 365 operational support on the ground and, and crew living on board, to the periodic crew and about eight hours a week of ground support time through its its lifetime. Uh, so all of the commands and things that the ground support have to do with the International Space Station right now still have to happen on the gateway. It's, it's not a terribly different system overall and what it needs to do, but now all those commands need to be generated and executed on board. And so the vehicle system manager, which is the system I'm responsible for, is going to be that system. It's brand new in the, the way that we are building it and the types of functions it will be doing. My team's responsible for the requirements, the interface definitions, um, the overall, you know, what's it going to do? How is it going to interface back in? And then verifying it at the end of the day um, before it flies. What kind of uh, intravehicular robotics are needed uh, at the station? Um, intravehicular robotics are a very interesting thing to have on board. One, it could absolutely replace the human support for maintenance when humans are not there for doing logistics management and, and moving things from here and there or from repair, from recovery types of options where you may have to switch out a board and that sort of thing. As of right now, we are planning on having systems that are redundant enough to, to be okay between crude visits. But I think as the gateway ages and we hit lifetimes of a lot of our operational avionics and other types of equipment on board is there's going to be a strong need to have the ability to do some of this repair and recovery options when when people are not there and so right now we are scarring if you will the gateway to support that we are we're making smart choices about our hatches about bolt holes for a structure that the IVR can attach to to be able to you know impart loads on other parts of the the structure for example putting in a processor you need to be able to um, transfer those loads through through the structure to, to put it in so we're doing that. We're adding in visual indicators to help uh, an IBR system be able to navigate and understand its position in the gateway. Um, a lot of little things like that that are not terribly mass intensive right now, but will go a very long way to helping us integrate those, those intervehicular robotic systems when we do get them there. Uh, I also saw you worked, uh, you worked on a project called RoboNauts. Uh, is that too mass intensive for this uh, for this part of the project? 
Robonaut was a lab experiment that we undertook with um, Robonaut 2 in particular with the General Motors. I think it started back in 2008. The idea was to build a, a humanoid robot that could use the same sorts of tools as humans could, that could work safely in the same workspace as humans, but actually do some real work. GM wanted the Robonaut 2 for the same exact reasons. They wanted it to be on the line to do things that were ergonomically hard for humans to do, but needed a little bit more support, um, like pulling wires through um, an, a, a water deflector inside of a, a car door, which is a flexible material. It's very hard with the rigid robots that they they have on their their lines now. And so that project was was awesome. We, we did came up come up with a great robot that did that. It had a chance to fly into space, and so we put it on the International Space Station for a few years and had it do experiments up there um, when we learned an awful lot about it. Um, essentially, the fact that the mobile manipulation aspect of Robonaut, as it, it gained legs and was able to, to do uh, more of the move around and types of tasks, we learned uh, that this, is, this was a very important thing to have. We took away from the Robonaut project, essentially, how many appendages would be a good number to have because you don't want to have too many because of mass, but you do want to have enough for redundancy and load imparting and reduction of complexity. We had some thoughts about end effectors. We learned an awful lot on integrating with the ISS on what types of things we would want our space station to look like <laughs> in order to support something you know, like a manipulator like Robonaut and that sort of thing. But to answer your first question, it's absolutely too big <laughs> for the space that, that Gateway would have. And I think we all knew that even when it flew the first time, but since it was really built for the lab and then transferred into this experiment space, I think we all knew that, just kind of rolled with it and uh, learned from it anyway. So the next set of robots, yes, for Gateway will be much smaller. <laughs> what do you love so much uh, about the project? So I feel that what I do in particular is essentially bringing human spaceflight into a whole new era. So if, if we're successful, what we've done with Gateway and allowing Gateway to largely handle itself, we do have a requirement for 21 days of autonomy from ground control for Gateway, which is, is based on Mars conops in the sense that there's a solar conjunction where the the sun's in between mars and the earth and so we can't talk to mars physically can't talk to mars without much bigger support networks uh, to to make that happen and so gateway is a step on that direction and so if we're successful i mean we enable a huge part of what is needed to be able to send humans to mars and i think that's that's a great um you know, goal for anyone to have for their career to be able to to say that they they were part of that. What made you fall in love with uh, NASA? Uh, NASA has big problems. I, I like the big problems. The other thing I really like is that there's almost no small problems. We do have small problems in the sense of, you know, we need to get this system in there, but that system has to integrate it from a much bigger perspective of how we would put that in a spacecraft and then the, the complexities of the interactions of all of that takes a systems engineer it, it's more than one more than what can fit in one person's brain right and so that's very interesting to me too is is that it's a very integrated difficult worldwide type of project that we we typically undertake particularly for the human space flight part of nasa when you do approach some issues how do you come up with a solution? 
That's a great question. And there's no one way to, to go about doing that. From my standpoint, I've always thought that, you know, it takes it takes a team, it takes a village to, to make these things happen. But you don't want to have necessarily too many cooks in the kitchen, if you will. You don't want all the hands to be on deck for every problem. Um, and so it takes a good team leader to kind of organize a work plan. Um, I'm a big fan of, of tiger teams where you pick a, a select group of, of folks to spend some time diving deep into what that problem is and trying to figure out the ways to solve it. Um, you obviously need to be involved in integrating and understanding the requirements, the interfaces, the constraints you have, um, and, and those are all things that you have to get straight in your head up front. Um, and then after that has happened, you know, the, the designs are, are things that kind of fall out from that from, from my perspective. You, it takes work, right? But but that's the fun part is that once you've got all of that in there, then you start coming up with the ideas and and banging them against your constraints and requirements and making sure that it, it fits in the the right box that you formed for yourself with all of those things. And then you have to implement. I think that's a, a main part for me is that no design is complete until we've tried it out. We've tested it. It doesn't have to be beautiful or perfect. It, you know, I, I like to tell my kids that it, cardboard's good enough for you, know, you may have a grand plan and you want us to like cut all this wood and plastic and <laughs> screw it together. But if you can't show me out of cardboard first. It's, it's not, uh, it's not going to fly. So that's, that's one of the things we do even from a software perspective is that we don't have to do it perfectly, but let's get it in there and, 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 and test it out. Um, and after that, then I think you can really start solving that problem and, and getting it done the right way. When it comes to the international cooperation, how does this all come together? Because I know the Canada Arm 3 is going to be on there. ESA is providing some communication. Uh, like, How does that come about? It's, a, I think, a really valuable part of Gateway in that we do have a lot of international cooperation. Even when we're talking about, you know, the, the international habitat or IHAB, there's parts that are being delivered for the IHAB that are coming from Japan, from, from the Japanese space agency, JAXA. Obviously, the Gateway External Robotics, and we call it GERS, system from Canada is also a really cool part of it in the sense that they're taking what they've learned for the last couple of, of big robots in space that they've had. And, and they said, you know what, we got to make this a lot more autonomous to fit what Gateway wants. And so their robots are going to have a tremendous more capabilities in, from an autonomy standpoint than, than they've had in the past. Um, and then from my standpoint, because my system's kind of in charge of the command and control and the fault management and resource management across the vehicle. But when, for example, the robotic arm is, is stepping from our HALO module to the IHAB module, VSM is the thing that's coordinating all of that happening across those three modules. And so we are very active in working with the folks, the international module providers, to make sure that all of this is going to, to fit in. And so how we do that is we have in our requirements document essentially an overall architecture of how 
this autonomy is formed. And while the VSM sits kind of at the top of that, each one of these modules coming from all over the US, Europe and Canada, all of that, those places, they all have to kind of fit to the same architectural requirements. And so it's very neat to me to see, you know, the, the things that we've come up with, these requirements being implemented all around the world and all of these different places. And, you know, we have incredibly smart and dedicated people in ESA and CSA that we've been working with that they get it and they get in there, they ask amazing questions and their perspectives are different than than ours here. I get different questions from ESA every single time I put a document out for review than, than I would get here and I expect it from them, right? I know that they're they're going to look at it a different way. And so it's, it's, I think it's very valuable overall to the program. And I know personally has made my system better in having them there. Uh, what does your day-to-day -day look like when working on these uh, projects? There's a lot of meetings. <laughs> I have about a 20-person team that, that works just on, on my side, but we work with a lot of other teams as part of Gateway and international teams. Essentially, for, for each week, we try to push coordination or a section of a ICD document or something down the road. And so uh, it's a very agile process that we're trying to basically iterate on the design as much as possible. Obviously, we have to freeze requirements at some point. So we've, we did that earlier, but you know now it's kind of, as we've done that, pushing the design down the road again and trying to come back to issues as, as they arise and, and make that happen. And so there's a lot of, again, a lot of meetings, but from my standpoint, um, I do a lot of coordinating on, you know, these tiger teams and the deep dives for designs. Uh, I have, I think, four of those going right now and um, trying to make sure I keep pushing people forward on, on the work that they do on that. When did you kind of transition from being an engineer to like the more managing uh, type? Well, I wrote code up until I think 2018, 2019. So it was fairly recently. Do you want to do a lightning round? Oh, what's a lightning round? It's going to be a few easy. Uh, you'll see. You'll see. Okay. Uh, what is the favorite project you worked on? All of my projects are my favorite. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite space project of all time? Right now, Gateway. I think we're taking this to the next level. It's awesome. What is your favorite place on Earth? My house. Do you have a piece of life advice, advice for students? Work hard, have a growth mentality. Don't ever think that something's beyond your reach. It's just something you need to figure out the right way to work hard for. Thanks to Julia for agreeing to the interview. In six or seven years, I will be looking up to the moon and be reminded of the conversation I had with her and her part in putting boots on the moon again. We hope you enjoyed today's segment. Please feel free to share your thoughts over social media and visit longitude.site for the episode transcript. Join us next time for more unique insights on longitude soundbites.